Well, good morning. It's lovely to be back with you again uh, this morning and uh, the opportunity to share together in God's Word. Um, I wonder if you ever turned up somewhere and been completely surprised at what you found, not what you were expecting. Maybe gone to your regular favorite shop and discovered, actually, it's closed. What happened there? Or maybe you go to the same place on holiday every year, and you turn up this year, and you discover that some dodgy developer has bought the place you usually went to and turned it into flats and apartments, and no longer can you have your holiday there. Or maybe gone to school and turned up at school and discovered the headmaster has outlawed homework. Now, wouldn't that be a dream? But have you ever come to church or been at a service of some kind and been surprised, taken by surprise, by an unusual or extraordinary sense of the presence of God? A lot of our church going is quite routine, and that's not a criticism, and it's not even a problem. We come to worship God with God as the focus of our attention. We come to pray, we come to learn, to be challenged, to be encouraged, and all of that is normal, valuable, and essential. But occasionally, something special happens. Maybe just to you personally, maybe a word that's brought that just speaks right into your situation, and you know God is right with you. A song that takes you apart emotionally as you think of the goodness and the greatness of God. A comment that someone makes to you, and you have a sense of God speaking to you through them. A sense of God's knowledge and care that's unusually extraordinary. Sometimes it's a congregational thing. We're together. We sense the presence of God in an unusual way. Well, if you've ever experienced anything like that, then you have some idea of what it must have been like on the day of Pentecost. Here was a group of Jewish people, disciples and friends, of Je- friends and family of Jesus, and they were celebrating a festival they will have celebrated many, many times. They're reading familiar scriptures. They're singing familiar psalms and hymns. They're presenting the traditional offering of two loaves of freshly baked leavened bread, as they have done all their lives. And they're giving thanks to God for His goodness. When the unexpected happens, there's suddenly, and without warning, a fearsome sense of the presence of God that fills the room. They each feel empowered and overwhelmed at the same time. The noise is like thunder in the room. And what looks like fire falls and fills in the air above each of them. And they discover they're speaking strange languages, languages that they didn't even know. Something powerful, awesome, unusual, almost terrifying is happening. Gives you goosebumps just thinking about it. Welcome to Acts chapter 2. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2 and read the opening verses as we reflect together on what's going on here. Acts chapter 2 and reading from verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? As I've been thinking about this remarkable event, two questions have been buzzing around in my head all week. The first one is, why Pentecost? And the second one, what does it mean for us? Why Pentecost? When I ask why Pentecost, I don't mean to ask why were the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit. That's obvious. Jesus had told them they would receive the Holy Spirit and be filled with power from on high. No, I mean why Pentecost, the Jewish festival? Isn't the coming and the giving of the Spirit something that could have happened any time, any place? Why did God ordain this day of the year as the day when the fullness of the Spirit would come on the disciples. Because we need to remember that Pentecost was a Jewish celebration long before it was ever a Christian celebration. It was, in fact, one of the three great pilgrimage feasts that Jews were obliged to honor. There was Passover, immediately followed by the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was the first one in the year. And then that was followed by Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot. And then finally, in the autumn period, there was the Feast of Booths, or the Festival of Tabernacles. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verses 16 and 17 record the instructions to celebrate these feasts. Three times a year, your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place He will choose, at the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the Festival of Weeks, which we call Pentecost, and the Festival of Tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. This was an obligation on the Jewish people, part of the terms of the covenant uh, that Ian was speaking about earlier. And we know that many, if not all of those associated with Jesus who were together on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, regularly made pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Luke tells us in chapter 2 that every year Jesus' family traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. 
And obviously Jesus and his disciples made the same journey, journey on a number of occasions, not least the occasion of his arrest, trial, death, and resurrection. And everything about the Passover celebration and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which included the offering of the first fruits of the new harvest before God, it was rich in meaning for the Jews and invested with new meaning in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jewish believers quickly understood the symbolism. Jesus is our Paschal Lamb, our deliverer from the slavery of sin, and is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. So, so when the Holy Spirit descends on and fills the disciple community on the second of the great pilgrimage feasts, the question is, why Pentecost? This feast, the feast or festival of weeks, also known as Shavuot, gets its name because it takes place seven weeks following the offering of the first fruits of the grain, which took place during the festival of unleavened bread after the Passover. And it's also called Pentecost because Pentecost simply means 50th, and it's celebrated on the 50th day after those seven weeks. Leviticus 23 provides the details of how the feast was to be celebrated, and it makes it clear that the festival was originally uh, agriculturally based. It was part of a harvest celebration, the first fruits of the harvest. There was a full set of offerings to be made, burnt offerings, grain and drink offerings, as well as a sin offering and a fellowship offering. It was an important festival. And we can safely assume that the disciples and the community around them, which was a Jewish community, were fulfilling their obligation at the festival, doing what they would normally have been doing as Jewish people. But there was a second element to Pentecost, or Shavuot, that developed particularly during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, when celebrating the giving of the law to Moses became a real feature of the festival. And tradition was that Moses received the law 50 days after the deliverance from Egypt. So when the Jews gathered in Jerusalem or in their synagogues to celebrate Shavuot, they were, and to this day do, still focus on two things. They celebrate and dedicate the fruit of the harvest to God, and they celebrate the giving of the law to Israel. Indeed, for many Jewish people, the two loaves of bread that they bring as part of that festival, for them now represent the two tablets of stone on which the law was given to Moses. One of the rabbis I was listening to explaining a Jewish understanding of Shavuot described the day of the giving of the law as the greatest, most significant single event to have ever taken place in Jewish history. The voice of God booming from the mountains, the clouds of glory, the claps of lightning, the flashes of thunder. On this day, he says, God came to be with us on earth. And when Jews celebrate Shavuot, they rejoice at the giving of the law, the Torah, when God revealed himself to his people and bridged the chasm between heaven and earth. And the text that is read by Jewish people at Pentecost is Exodus chapter 19. 
And you can't not be struck by the sense of power, the overwhelming presence of God in noise and fire recorded for us in Exodus chapter 19. The text says that on the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. You see, it's no wonder that anyone in Jerusalem within sight or sound of what was happening to the disciples in their meeting place, would make a connection with the account in Exodus that they had probably just been reading earlier that day, and gather of their own accord to see what was happening. We just read about something like this. What is this that's going on in Jerusalem today in our midst? the signs and symbols of noise and fire that accompanied the most significant event in the life of the people of God and Sinai are present amongst this community of disciples in Jerusalem, which indicates the magnitude of what's happening as the Spirit is poured out on the disciples. So, Pentecost represents the completion of the harvest. When people bring freshly baked, leavened bread before God. It represents God making Himself known to His people, coming to them and giving them the Torah, the law in Jewish history. And of course, pilgrimage festivals like Pentecost brought together Jewish people and God-fearers from a wide geographical region, people from west and east, north and south, they heard the disciples declare the wonders of God in their own language, and while some thought it was some kind of hoax by a bunch of drunks, others got the sense that this was something special and needed to know more. God's timing, God's planning ensured the maximum possible exposure of what was happening, and as we will see next week, the maximum impact amongst the people. So, why Pentecost? Well, because the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost, gives us an understanding of the significance of what God was doing, coming among His people in a new way, pouring out the bountiful provision of the Spirit for the followers of Jesus and writing His law in their hearts. Pentecost is Mount Sinai II a dramatic development of what was started with Moses in the desert, but now a new covenant communicated in a new way, bringing new life to the people of God. Why Pentecost? Because Jewish people from across the world were gathered in the same place at the same time, many of them primed and ready as they turned to Exodus chapter 19 to witness this historic intervention by God in the affairs of human beings. But what does it mean for us? For many people, 
Acts 2 and the record of what happened at Pentecost immediately leads to questions about speaking in tongues and the question of, is it for today? Should all believers have a similar Pentecost experience? We need to resist that temptation and recognize that this is a unique event timed specifically within the Jewish calendar at which the, dis the disciples speak in discernible languages as the first signs of God doing something new amongst His people. But here are some of the things I think we should take from this unique Pentecost event. The first thing is this. Obedience to God puts us in the place of blessing. The disciples were being obedient to the Scriptures. They were in Jerusalem celebrating Shavuot. No way could they have anticipated what was going to happen. But they were in the right place at the right time through simple obedience to the Torah. They were being obedient to Jesus, who, as Luke records in his gospel in chapter 24, told them, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Preparing and celebrating Shavuot probably felt quite routine. It was something they had done all their lives, whether in Jerusalem or in Galilee. And it seems to me that being obedient in the routine things of the faith, the ordinary things of the faith, such as Hebrews 10 says, consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. It matters. The ordinary things that Paul highlights when he's writing to the Ephesians in chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The ordinary things that Peter speaks about in 1 Peter 4.10, when he says, go faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms, whether through speaking or serving. The ordinary things that Jesus commanded, as we were reminded this morning, loving one another as Christ loved us, gathering around the Lord's table and doing it in remembrance of Him. Attending to the routine things of faith puts us in the place of blessing because these are God's appointed things, God's appointed timings. So don't despise the routine, the ordinary, the obvious elements of Christian living and Christian worship. Whatever is God-ordained is going to be the place of blessing. It's going to be the place of encounter with the Spirit of God. Second thing that strikes me from this this morning is we have the blessing of knowing God within and among us. In Jewish understanding, what happened at Sinai was a, a closing of the chasm between heaven and earth. God was, in their understanding, giving of Himself to His people in the giving of the law, and earth and heaven were touching in a way that had never happened before. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes among and indwells people with power. That God makes His home within and among us is something we take too much for granted. 
and I think sometimes lose the sense of wonder and awe at what that actually means. How do we really begin to appreciate what it means to speak about the Spirit of God indwelling the believer? In Exodus, there's much fear among the people as they encounter something of the presence of God. They're utterly overwhelmed. The people are warned to stay back from the mountain, so fearsome is the encounter. But because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we get to know God, the Spirit, as our companion, as our comforter. As Paul says in Romans 8, we get to know God in a different way. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Pentecost reminds us just how privileged we are as believers and how much of a privilege it is to know the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A level of intimacy with God that doesn't exist anywhere else in any way like it. That's our privilege. The third thing that strikes me about Pentecost is that the work of the Spirit cannot be predicted, controlled, or contained. Another reading that takes place during the Jewish festival of Shavuot or, or Pentecost is from the prophets. There's always a reading from the Torah and a reading from the prophets. And uh, for this festival, it's Ezekiel chapter 1 and also um, Ezekiel 3 verse 12 in many cases. Ezekiel had a real sense of the power of the Spirit of God. It's a dramatic, dramatic vision that Ezekiel has in Ezekiel chapter 1. It's quite awesome and reflects the awesome work of God and the freedom of movement of the Spirit. And here at Pentecost, we see that untamed and untamable power at work. There's a lot of angst and debate and deep division among Christians about what the Spirit can and cannot do in the life of the people of God. And it's all often framed as debates about charismatic gifts. Are they for today or, for, are, they, or are they not? But we need to remember that when Nicodemus comes to Jesus looking for help and understanding, Jesus makes the point that it is flesh that gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows, and the wind is the association with the Spirit in Scripture. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Pentecost demonstrates to us that the Spirit will work according to God's will and purpose and timing. I think it's a foolish thing to try and prescribe what the Holy Spirit can or cannot do. It's absolutely the right thing to reject teaching that demands you must have this or that particular spiritual gift. It's absolutely the right thing to reject a, a view that says you must speak in tongues if you're to be a real believer. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture is clear. The Spirit gives gifts to whom He will. The Scripture says gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. 
For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one Spirit to drink. So what I want to say to you this morning as we think about Pentecost is, don't limit what the Spirit of God may wish to do in your life. Don't despise or decry the gifts that God gives you. Scripture speaks about gifts of speaking and serving. And sometimes Christians are inclined to underestimate the role that God may want them to play in the life of the church and in the wider world because they don't see themselves as having some great gift, some great gift of speaking or or standing out in some other way. Scripture says the Spirit gives gifts as He wills, and He does so in this room to this community of people. Don't underestimate what God may wish to do in your life and through your life in the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who intercedes for us, who knows us better than we know ourselves. These people meeting together, the family of Jesus and the disciples who were all in this upper room, they had no way of knowing what God had in store for them. And as we see next week, no way of knowing what kind of power God could instill in them. And the final thing I want to say that I think we can take from this is simply this. The Spirit is given that we might declare the wonders of God. That's one of the striking things about this passage. When the people get together, I wonder if you noticed that, what amazed and confused them was not just that they could hear people speaking in their own language wherever they came from. And they represent quite a wide variety of of different languages meeting together here in Jerusalem. Of course, they were united by Hebrew and maybe Aramaic, but they were coming from Rome and they were coming from uh, Persia and all sorts of places where the the local languages were completely different. And some of these people were converts to Judaism, so they, they grew up with these languages. What's the thing that really surprised them? That they hear people speaking in their language declaring the wonders of God. The Spirit is given that we might declare the wonders of God in intelligible ways. As God the Spirit comes among the disciple community and the power, the world around them hears about the wonders of God in their own language. Pentecost was a time of blessing for these believers, but it was also a time of witness. And that's what we're going to be taking more time to look at next week. But for today, today, let's note that when the Spirit of God indwells His people, He empowers them to make known the wonders of God. As you read Acts chapter 2, as you think about the routineness of a festival for the disciples who were gathered together, bear in mind that God by His Spirit works in His way according to His will, to do in you and through you what pleases Him. And may God be at work in all of our hearts to that end. Let's pray. Gracious God, You appoint the times and seasons. You appointed the times and seasons for the people of the Old Testament to gather, to worship, to make their sacrifices. You appointed the times and seasons of the coming of Christ, His death, His resurrection, 
the outpouring of the Spirit. And you appoint the times and seasons of our lives. And you are at work and ready to be at work in your people today as you were then. Grant to us the confidence to trust you, to trust your work in our lives, to trust that you wish to work in our lives, and that through us you too can declare the wonders of your glory when we are open and available to you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this day. Thank you that once again we are found here doing what often happens each Sunday in this building. Thank you that you meet with us in this. Thank you that you are here to bless us. May we know much of your presence and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.